quick, quick with those lollipops, grab one and uh, come and get your seats. Now, Lauren, that is urgency that I like. That's very good. That was a sprint back to your seat. Come on, Linda, sprint. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. It's so good to see you all. How are you all doing? Okay, excited about school starting tomorrow? Oh, man, alive. Okay, everybody excited about school? The roads will fill up again. It's always a good time of the year, isn't it, when the traffic comes back? Um, it feels like a new season. School start again. Um, it was drizzly this morning, uh, although it's not so cold. Um, and uh, and we school starting again. We've got a new sermon series. Now, here's the thing. To make me feel better about this morning, I need you to be excited about the new sermon series, okay? Yeah, okay. Well, that was sounding a little bit sarcastic. Tambourine was a good addition, though. So we're just going to do it one more time, okay? So when I say it, we'll pretend it's like for the first time, and then you're going to be really excited, okay? And this morning as a church, we are starting our new sermon series. Yeah, come on. Wow. If I could just erase the first one, I'd be really excited about them. Uh, new sermon season. We're going to be, uh, the whole theme of the series is about what it is to be in Christ and in Christ alone. Um, and it, we're going to be walking through the letter of the Colossians. It's probably one of my, well, they're all my favorites, but this is one of the unique, special ones. And um, we're going to be looking at what it looks like in our lives when we go through struggles, when we go through hardships, we'll look at what it is to live in Christ and to deal with who we were. You know, we become believers, don't we? And we become righteous and saved and clean and forgiven and all those things. But we still have this sin that kind of seems to uh, be hard, hard thing for us to shake off sometimes. So we're going to look at how we deal with that and what those things look like that are no longer part of our new life. And then we're going to jump into what it looks like in our new life now and how that affects our marriages, our homes, how that affects our uh, relationship with our children and with our workplaces. I know you're all excited for the week we talk about work, but also what we do day to day. Um, so I'm excited about that. We've got two visiting speakers that we're going to have as well. We, uh, we have Gavin Rogers, who's going to be coming in the series. You all, Yeah, lots of you know Gav. Yeah, come on, Joanna. Joanna likes Gav. Um, and uh, he is an elder at Jubilee Church Teesside and was part of this church for quite some time before he moved, got married. And the other guy is a guy called uh, Phil Dixon, who is a, a Baptist minister. He was the Baptist minister of the church in Redcar uh, when I became a believer 20 years ago. Now he leads a church in Hartlepool. So I know you're going to love him, hopefully not too much, because you might replace me with him, but he's great. Um, so I know you're going to love it. And I'm excited to see what God does in this series too in our own hearts, in the culture, in our own homes, and in the culture, in our workplaces, but also actually just in us as a church and the culture that we have here on a Sunday morning and how we worship him. So I'm excited about that. Uh, so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm not opening the book of Colossians as such. We're not kind of jumping in. This isn't uh, we're not going to kind of jump in with the first section, but more it's going to be an overview of the whole, uh, the whole of the book and also what, who, who wrote it, why they wrote it, um, and what they're getting at really. And, and, and I'm going to talk about how, oh, we've got a real buzz there. Yeah, I'm going to let that just fix itself. Um, it's a Holy Spirit, can you feel it? <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to talk about 
Still here. You can just knock that down, Peter. That'd be great. Um, so we're going to talk about... <laughs> He's teasing me. We're going to talk about the whole series and, um, and why this book was written and really put some context around it before we jump in next week. So everybody still with me? Everybody still excited? Yeah, good. Okay, good. Keep the talking going. I, I love it. It's great. Um, so Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit right now and you would speak to us. I might, you know, joke about that being your Holy Spirit, but the reality is, Lord, it's no joke. You are here. You are present. Lord, help us not to be, uh, help us not to be too passive about that, too apathetic about it. But Lord Jesus, you are here and you are wanting to do business with us this morning. Lord, I pray, I don't know everybody in this room, I know many of them, but Lord, I pray, regardless of circumstances, regardless of whether people know you as their personal saviour or not, that you would speak to their hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so, um, okay, so I'm going to start off with a map. I love a map. Who loves maps around here? I love maps. <clears throat> it is a bit small, but I had to try and get all of it in. Uh, so hence why it, it is a bit zoomed out. Um, so this kind of gives us an idea of where Colossae is. Um, um, the, the letter is written to the church in Colossae. And they're in this little valley here, the Lycus Valley. Uh, it's it's uh, about 11 miles from Laodicea, which is right next to it on the right. Can you see Colossae in the square there, the, the rectangle? Yeah, everybody with me? And near it is Laodicea. You might know that name from the letter of the Revelation where you hear about the church in Laodicea and Hierapolis, uh, which is just north northwest of it. And it's all the way, 120 miles from Ephesus, um, which many of you will know. Um, and this is Western, modern day Western Turkey, um, which is where these churches are. Uh, so there's three churches in that little valley there that our guy, uh, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, our guy is... Uh, involved in and, and seem to have planted. And Colossae is this, this church, this very special, unique church. And from what's going on in that church, we get this really great message. Colossae is a fairly prosperous place to live. Uh, it had been for several hundred years uh, before Jesus. Uh, like I said, it's only 11 miles from Laodicea. Um, and um, it would have been under the control of the Roman Empire, like much of that world at that point. Um, but at this point, at which the letter has been written, Colossae had been completely overshadowed by its neighbour Laodicea. Um, it was it was the most it become the most prominent city in that region at that time. <coughs> Excuse me, and. What all of these cities had in common was their success in textiles, okay? Um, the, that word textiles takes me back to school. was never very good at it. But they were, they were good at is textile, textile, textile industries. And Colossae was famous. I don't know if we have, we have a knitting club here every week. I don't know if we have any really keen knitters. Uh, but what they were really famous for was, oh, the one waving at the back. What they were really famous for was their one type of wool, which was dyed purple, and nobody could do it like the Colossians, right? It's kind of like nobody does olives like the Greeks, or no one does cheese like the French, right? They're stinky cheese. So, like, you know, no, you know, no one did purple wool like the Colossians, and, and that was such a big thing for them. And even today, if you Google Colossinus wool, it will come up with this purple wool that you can buy. It's still named that. And 
so what was it like to live in Colossae? Well, the truth is, is that we don't really know. If you Google it today, it's literally just a hill. It's a mound that has never been uh, uncovered by archaeologists. Can you believe that? They've never gone and dug it up. So they don't know everything that happened there. They don't know a huge amount. But what we do know is a couple of things that are really important to where we're going in this series and this morning. One is is that there was a lot of Jews that lived in that region there. Uh, The historian Josephus tells us um, that about 2,000 families were moved to that region. Uh, Jewish families were moved to that region a couple of hundred years before the birth of Jesus. And by the time uh, that Jesus' uh, ministry has happened and the early church, we know from temple tax records that there was about 7,500 Jews living in that region there. And they're part of the demographic of this church that we're going to be talking about. So there would have been those in the church that were Jewish, that they would have known the law, grown up with Jewish customs and traditions and rites and religion, and they would have made up the demographic of the church. But we also know from their coins, and what they used to use to trade with is that they had a lot of gods. And when I say a lot, I do mean a lot. They had a lot of gods. I'm going to try and read out a couple to you. There was Ephesian, Artemis, Laodicean Zeus, Artemis the Huntress, another Artemis. Uh, there was the god of men, Selene, Demeter, Hygieia, I told you I'd try, Helios, Athena, Tyche, Boole, and there was two Greek gods that they also used to recognize, the Egyptian deities Isis and Seraphis. So they had a lot of gods, and I mean a lot, right? And this is important to understand what was going on here, the demographics that made up this church. There was this pagan culture of lots of gods, but there was also this Jewish culture that was in the church. And now Paul is the one who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul. He's the one who's written this letter to the church, the Colossians. And and he knows that he is writing into a crazy situation, a real mixed bag of people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, and completely different experiences when it came to worshipping a God or God himself. And Jews would bring in their legalism, turning the church into simply do's and do nots. And on the other side, you had this pagan culture of, well, you know, let's try whichever God and we'll see if that one answers us this week, right? And they would, they, we, they would just literally go around, worship whichever God for whichever situation, whichever day, uh, whatever they needed help with. And Jesus to them, the danger was that Jesus to them was just another add-on God onto that list. So maybe he's the one I'll go to when I have that issue and I'll see if he gives me what I want uh, when I find myself in a pickle. Uh, and to add it to all of this, the church was facing, uh, in, in, in this moment, they were uh, facing these f- traveling teachers who would come and they would teach the gospel, but not correctly. And they would add on to it, they would take away from it, and they would do lots of things. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if any of you feel like one day you're going to lead a church, um, and the blessing that that is, but... I mean, if I saw this job on christianjobs.co.uk, I'm telling you, I wouldn't apply, right? Like, it would really need God to pull you in to apply for that job to lead this church. And this is like a, you know, whole social problem with, you know, it's like a cultural grenade with a pin pulled out just waiting to go bang, right? Like, that's, that's the situation the church finds itself in. 
And biblical scholars, what they believe, the, the reason they believe these three churches came about, the, the way that these three churches in this triangle came about, was um, came about during the time that Paul, he's never been to Colossae. Um, Paul has been to Ephesus over on this west side here. And in Acts chapter 19, what we read about, Acts chapter 19, 9 to 10, it says, he took the disciples with him and had a discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So what's happening in Acts chapter 19? Paul is in Ephesus and he's renting out this, this space um, to bring in te- uh, people from all over Asia, which would have inc- included Colossae. And he brings them in and teaches them for two years. And they believe there was two characters that were there. There was um, Ep- Epaphras, who we're going to be talking about. But there's also Philemon. You might recognize his name, a letter. He would have been there too to learn about the gospel. And what we know about Epaphras is he serves as a church planter in the Lycus Valley. And he really has a heart, not just for Colossae itself, but, for, but also for Laodicea and Hierapolis, those three areas there. He seems to have planted those churches and he has a real heart. And he's, Paul even says in the end of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I vouch for him. He's talking about Epaphras, this church planter who seems to be like his lieutenant in that region. He says, I, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, he's really has a heart for these churches. So not as he planted them, but he's there and he loves them and he, his heart is with them. So it's a little bit about where they're situated, about you know how this church came about. And Paul's never been there, right? He's never been to this church. He doesn't know the people in the church. So why, why is he writing to them? Well, it's, it tells us that Epaphras has come to Paul and he seems, like I say, he seems to have been discipled by Paul. So who, who is he likely to go to when things get hard, when things are in trouble? Well, he, he goes to Paul. He goes to his, the person who's discipled him, the person who's mentored him, and he goes to him for help. And Paul hears this troubling news, not just about the law, not just about pagan culture, but about this false teaching in the church. And the alarm bells start ringing, and Epaphras has come to him for help. That's the first thing I just wanted to bring to you all this morning. I wanted to start by just asking you a question. Where is it that you go when your life is in trouble? Where is it that you go when, you know, every single person in this room has a hard moment, a hard day, hard week, hard years. Who who is the person that you go to in those moments? Where, where is it that you go? And actually, the second question is really onto that is, what happens when you go to that person or that group of people? Um, do you go to wise people, people who care about you? Where do you take your advice from? And maybe you don't. Maybe you're a person who doesn't take advice from anybody. You're too proud to take your problems, your issues to other people. But Proverbs 13.20 tells us this. It says, walk with the wise and become what? Become what? Wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. We're called as Jesus followers to walk with wise people, to go to wise people. And and, and 
you see, this is exactly what we see Epiphras doing in this moment. What the enemy loves you to do, let me be really clear, what the enemy loves you to do is when you're in a hard moment is to stay on your own. You see, we know that we're called to be sheep, don't we? We know that we're called to be in a flock of sheep, in a herd of sheep. We know that we're called to follow the shepherd. And what the enemy loves you to do is to be a stray sheep and to wander away from from the flock to walk away from it. It's okay, I'll, I'll deal with this and I'll come back in. It doesn't work like that. Actually, I just really felt, just before we get into, just before we get into the last bits here, what, what do you do when you're in those moments? The enemy loves you to be isolated. God's desire for you, though, is to be in church, to be in the community of the church. And as a church, even as a church, we're not called to be an independent church, are we? You know, we're not called to kind of just do it on our own, Forget everybody else. We have the right way of doing it. No, we're called to be part of a movement. And we are part of a movement. We're part of Christ Central, which is a bigger, in the bigger part of New Frontiers. And even me as a, as a leader, if I find myself in a hard moment, I, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to approach other church leaders within that church family, or, you know, apostolic oversight or people who are peers who just might have some advice that they can share with me or just... Just spend some time with me. We're not called to be independent as a church or as individuals. So where do you go for, to for advice? Well, Epiphras, he goes to Paul. He says, I, mean, I don't know what to do. I'm in trouble. This is what's going on in the church. And I want to just point out something real quick that, that Paul does with Epiphras. What does he do? Colossians 1, 3 to 4. We're going to cover this next week. He says, we always, Paul says, we always thank the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of the faith, your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. So what, what's the first thing that they do together? They pray. And Paul leads his friend, his disciple, whatever he wants to call him. We don't know the exact relationship, but we know that this is happening in this moment. Paul leads him, let's pray for the church together. Come on, let's pray about this. Let's pray into this. We're going to pray together and thank the Lord Jesus for this church. We're going to thank him for these people. Not just that, but then Paul steps in to help Epaphras. He helps to choose to, to chooses to write a letter to help, to take responsibility for the problem. You know, he doesn't just say, oh, look, Epaphras, I'm really sorry to hear about that, but I'm actually in prison at the moment. So, you know, I've got my own problems, right? Like he, he, he does what he can to step in too. And what a blessing. Can you just think for a second, you can imagine Epaphras as he's thinking about his church, thinking about what's going on there. Can you imagine the blessing that it is for him as he goes to his friend and First of all, his friend not just hears the problem, but he really, really listens to the problem. He understands it, right? Have you ever been to a friend and told them what's going on and you feel like you've got like one ear, but the other ear is just doing something else? He's like, no, you're not, you're not listening. <laughs> Paul really gets it. He really takes the time to understand the issues and the nuances of relationships in the church and what's happening there. And then he says, oh, come on, let's, let's pray about the church. Let's pray into it together. And he calls him into this friendship of praying and pointing it towards Jesus. And then he steps in to do what he can. He says, oh, I'm really sorry to hear about that. I hope it works out for you. No, like, let me help. Let me come alongside you and help you. I don't know these people. 
I don't know them, but let me just step in and take responsibility with you in this. Let me be your brother in Christ. I just want to ask you, what relationships do you have around you? Do you have people that lead you towards Jesus in prayer? Do you lead other people towards Jesus in prayer? Have you ever been to somebody and you've told them something you just feel like it's going to be gossip for them? Rather than them actually caring, rather than wanting to lead you towards Jesus, to pray with you, to be with you? I just want to bring that to you. Maybe just, you know, this morning, you should reevaluate actually your surroundings, the people you keep around you. And then in 1 Corinthians 15 to 33, Paul writes this, he says, do not be misled. <laughs> Bad company, guess what? It corrupts good character. The company that you keep is really important. I, I, felt, I know it sounds so simple, but I, it's, it's godly wisdom to surround yourself with godly people. Do you have that in your life? Surround yourself with godly people. Okay, so back to Paul and Epaphras. Paul's taken the time to understand the issues. And although, like, like we've said several times, he's never been to the church, he knows what he needs to do. He's going to write a letter and he's going to have to hit some issues in the church head on. He's going to have to absolutely attack them. Um, he's going to have to talk about the church needing to center its attention on the complete sufficiency and the person of Jesus Christ and, and, and the nature of Jesus being their creator. He's not just a man. He's, you know, he's not this, this God up in the sky. He's 100% God, 100% man, and he needs to teach who Jesus is as their creator and their redeemer, and that is completely non-negotiable from Paul's point of view. He's going to have to really come out the church with that. And Paul needed the church in Colossae to know without any doubt that Jesus is their heavenly Lord and that he is their source of life and that he is their exalted leader. So we're just going to quickly look at the three things Paul's going to have to hit in this letter, the three cultural problems. The first is is that because without, without him teaching into this, they're going to be constantly tempted to find revelations or to find fulfillment or their source of life in other gods. Idolatry. They're going to go look for other gods. And this is a problem, like we said, this pagan culture that they're, that they're steeped in, that they, many of the church would have come from. This is what the church in Colossae was used to. And, you know, I need something to happen in my life. Like I said, I want to, I want to be, so let's take, for example, I want to be financially secure. I want to be financially rich. I want to be in a comfortable spot. And if that's the case, well, there's the God that you need to go and pray to in order that you can be financially secure. And, and, and you pray to that God, and that's the God this week that you're going to give your time to, that you're going to give your attention to, that my hope and my allegiance is with that God this week until I get what I need. And, and, and this is the reality. This isn't a problem that's gone, is it? <laughs> this isn't a problem that's disappeared this is a problem still today. We, you know, it comes to our everyday lives, our everyday things. We, we, where do we put our time? Where do we take our identity from? Where do we put our hopes, our focus, our efforts? You know, where, where do they go? And for some of these things, this is the thing, some of these things that we pursue in our life, they're not bad things, right? Like you can pursue a marriage or relationship. You can pursue, to, to, you know, to a career. That, that is not, those can't be... Those aren't always bad things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
But when they displace Jesus in our lives, things have gone terribly wrong. And what Paul's saying is, is, is going to attack is that Jesus has to always be number one, above and, above and beyond everything else. He is the first and he is the last. He is everything. And he has to be everything in your life. Never make Jesus second place to anything, anyone, or any God. And that's what Paul's going to go at. Jesus spoke about money a lot, didn't he? 25% of his teaching was around money. And he talked about, in this context, he talked about no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus was really clear. You cannot have two gods, just one. You can't serve two masters, only one. We cannot have more than one God in our life. And Paul is going to call, call to call the church in Colossae to have one God, to not go between. And perhaps this morning, I don't want to spend too much time on that. We're going to cover it in the weeks coming. But perhaps this morning, the Holy Spirit is calling you to do the same thing. Not two gods, but one. Just one, Jesus. The second he's going to have to attack is to seek eternal life. Uh, they're trying to seek eternal life through rites, through religion, religion and through rituals. This is that Jewish culture coming in. There is certain things you have to do, certain way you have to be. And this is the second if, issue of bad teaching that we'd see in the church, this religious spirit that would come, that would, uh, come through, both from traveling speakers. They're going to bring in some things of what you have to do to be really, to really be saved. But also this Jewish sect, this Jewish part of the church. And you know, we all do it. Even today, we all do it. You, we know for a fact, and I mean, I hope you know this for a fact. If you don't, <laughs> you need to hear this, that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way that we can become right before God. And the Bible tells us that we have all, every single one of us, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It tells us that in Romans and that we've all sinned and we've all failed. And it also tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. That's what happens as a result of this sin, of falling short, that we are separated from God. And that we are doomed to be in eternity without him. But, this is the but. For those who put their faith in Jesus, there, there is a gift of eternal life in him. Through him and in him alone. Only through Jesus. And even those that are here this morning, I'm, talking to, I'm preaching to myself right now, right? Like, even those who are here this morning, myself included, we, even when we know the truth of Jesus in our lives and what that means for our lives, I, I have a new life. We've been singing about it. I am chosen. I am free. I know these things are true. The reality is, is that I've been rescued by God's grace. I've been given this new life, and yet I still have these moments, and I'm sure you do too, where you think somehow, okay, now I'm a Christian, I need to be a Christian, right? Like I need to start passing the tests. I need to be good enough for God. I need to start jumping through the hoops. I need to be good enough to call myself a Christian. That's not how it works, right? The grace of God is that you are a Christian. You are saved and redeemed through him. 
And actually, you just be, live that life out now. You don't have to make it there on your own. And we talked about this the other week, didn't we? But because the problem is, is that we have this other character that the Bible calls Satan, means accuser, the accuser, and he comes alongside you. Whoa, you know, a real Christian doesn't really do that, don't you? Hey, you know, a real, hey, Diraj, you know, a real Christian doesn't have those thoughts, don't you? You know, like, and he does this, doesn't he? Hey, Ian, you know, a Christian should be behaving like that. You know, and we go, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not, maybe I don't belong. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't, maybe I need, I need to be better. I need to be a better person. Okay, God, give me a hoop and I'll jump through it. No, 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 that's not how it works. Jesus is enough. Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Jesus plus you being a great person every day, every moment is what makes you Christian. That's not true. And the accuser loves you to think that. Paul was going to teach that the sufficiency of Christ, he has done everything and he has done everything that you would ever need him to do. He's done what the law could never do. In Galatians, he writes to them, Galatians chapter 2, 16, know that a person is not justified by what? By the, okay, I'm going to do it again. Know that they're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, have put on put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, not by those works, but by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by work by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus fulfilled the law. You are not accepted by Jesus because of what you do or what you do not do. You are accepted because of his grace and because of his love for you. Let me be really clear. Stop trying to be perfect. You're not perfect. You're not going to be. But his love for you, I promise you, his love for you is perfect. You're not, but his love is. Last point. I'm going to have to be careful here, okay? So bring me in if I need to. But he had to address, and he's going to address, the fact that they are following the lead of false teachers who these false teachers who have a compelling message and seem to be very persuasive personalities. Uh, and this is the last and final point for me this morning. And, and this is the thing, in the church in its immaturity, remembering, you know, we talked about in the book of Acts, they were figuring out theology as they went. They didn't have, you know, the, the Bible as we have it today. They're actually going to feature in the Bible, which... Uh, would have blown their minds, but they didn't have the Bible as we have it today. They were figuring out things on the on on on, on the go, and but in this immaturity and this not understanding of what's happening, they had these travelling speakers who would come in, and and they would have teachings that were just way off what they had originally been taught. And this false teaching, we're not going to go into all the details of it, but it, a lot of it was called Gnosticism, uh, and in a nutshell. People in the early church, early Christians, had a really hard time understanding and believing that Jesus was not just 100% God, that part they were okay with, but actually that they were 100%, he was 100% man. He was a physical man walking on earth. It's funny, today we have the opposite problem in today's culture. People believe he was definitely a man, but he probably wasn't God. They believed he was probably God, but definitely wasn't a man. And this is, and this is the issue that they had in the early church. And it brought all kinds of beliefs that came out of this that ultimately would teach that Jesus 
wasn't enough, that there was deeper levels of none. And as you can imagine, as Epaphras brought this to Paul, who's in prison at the time of writing this letter, that he would bring this to them. The alarm bells are ringing for Paul and he needs to teach. And Jesus had his fair share to say on false teachers. We're going to read here from Matthew 7, 15 to 20. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look great. They look just like you. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. You know, the Bible says the Lord reveals the motives of the heart. Jesus is telling you the motives of these people's hearts. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, not, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree ba- bears bad fruit. A, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Are these, are the, are these traveling speakers got good fruit in this church? No. They're bringing confusion. They're bringing division. They're bringing real problems. And Jesus is very clear that we need to be careful about who we allow to speak into our lives and into our churches. The church had accepted teaching that wasn't in line with the gospel that they'd been taught. And, and, and just like all of these issues that we've mentioned, just like all these issues that we're going to go through, this is still a problem today. And, and I would say it's just as bad as it's ever been. And hear me, hear me out here. This is my last point. The internet gives anyone and everyone a platform. Anyone. And, and there is no safety net anymore. It's gone. The safety net is gone. And I don't care if, if you're 13 or whether you're 80. You've got to be so careful about what you intake online. And you've got to understand that there are checks and balances that are completely missing online. They're gone. Let me, so let me just give you an example. So, okay, so I get up here this morning. And I'm speaking from from the word of God, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I've had to prepare. I've had to read what other theologians, what other people believe about these passages. All the things that I have said this morning, I've double-checked and checked again to make sure that I've not misunderstood. I've read, I've read four different books <laughs> in preparation just for this talk this morning. And I get up here, and now here's the thing. If I say something that is out of line with the scriptures as a whole, Okay. Now, sometimes there's interpretation, there's stories that don't, analogies that fall down or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about teaching, biblical teaching. I can guarantee you by the time I get to that door to leave this morning, at least 10 people would have told me that I said something that was out of line. Okay. And that's a good thing. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This is a brilliant thing. This is why I love church. This is why Jesus loves his church. Because I'm held accountable by what I speak and what I teach up here at the front. And if you guys miss it, Guess what? I'm surrounded by guys who know their Bible really well in our eldership team, and they can check me on it. And they have complete freedom to do that at any moment, to check me. And if I get it wrong, okay, if I get it wrong, which obviously I'll never do. Why are you laughing? If I get it wrong, do you know what? Next week, I will stand up here and I will say, hey, I said something last week that was maybe just out of line. I need to apologize and correct it. Okay? So that's how this works. 
that's how this should work. And I pray that you read your Bibles enough that you understand that what I say from the front is right and you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? So that's how it should work. On the internet, those checks and balances are gone. They are completely gone. You, you can decide, right, and they, get, and, they, and they set up a YouTube account and they think, okay, I'm going to teach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak the words that God has spoken to me. I have a theological degree, so therefore what I say is valid and true. And there's no accountability for these guys. I mean, I mean I, I, I've seen them. Half these people aren't in church leadership, aren't attached to a church. Let me tell you, there's a reason for that. The ministries that have these YouTube channels with thousands of people watching them, guess what? They're not part of a church. There's a reason for that. And, and, and oh, honestly, sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to be careful here. There's no accountability. It's not the way God designed it to be. You call to be in community. And these false teachers, you know, if they walked into this church, we should be able to say, hey, I recognize what you're saying is wrong and it's out of line with the rest of Scripture. The reality is, and I'll say this probably a hundred times before I'm done here, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. I could stand up here and legitimately teach from the Word of God that there is no God. I could do that. But I'm not teaching it in, in its fullness, am I? Because it says, for a fool says in his heart, there is no God. You can make the Bible say whatever you want. And we know there's nutters out there who do, by the way. And they're on YouTube. And my last bugbear is, I just want to share is, you know, these traveling speakers, and Paul had a constant issue with this. They looked the bee's knees. They looked amazing. And the church received them and went, wow, these look like proper, these look like prophets. These look like, these look like apostles. These are the people we want. Paul, can you not look a bit more like this? And Paul, he didn't look like the bee's knees. He looked terrible. And, 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 and they talk so convincingly. Let me just say this. The websites that you find, the ministries that are out there, the books that you find in the Christian bookshops, the YouTube links that, you've, that you come across, they will look the bee's knees. They will look fantastic. But unlike the church in Colossae, we have two things. We have one, the complete word of God, that's one thing they didn't have, but we do have something that we share in common with them. We have, we have the Spirit of God working in us to give us discernment on what is from God and what is not. I, I just want to share this last thing and I'm going to stop talking. You know, this week, I, I want to say this in love. I really want to say this in love, so Lord, help me. This week, I was <clears throat> looking at a website of a ministry in the UK. I'm not going to mention who it is or what they're called. But it's a website that's been sent to me several times over the last year and a half. And it's a group that call themselves um, prophets. And um, it just drives me bonkers. You know what? You are given a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it is for the building up and the edifying of the church. That's what it's for. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's to be used within the church for the good of the church. Not to be independent of the church. And this is group. And what really saddens my heart is thousands of people watch this stuff. And it's just YouTube. It's just a person sat in their house with no checks and balances, nobody calling out their wrong teaching, nobody pulling them up on something or not weighing up what they say against Scripture. But actually, they're just free to do whatever they want. And people listen. People watch it. And then what really broke me, honestly, I mean, Jenny's my witness. I was so angry. It's like, Jesus, just turn the tables on this. 
is that their offering will call you and prophesy over you. We'll call you and pray for healing over you. Just £25 for a session. I want to say it in love, but it breaks my heart. That's not what, that's not what this is about. This is about the glory of his bride. It's not about you making money from book sales. It's the Holy Spirit who's in charge of our gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who decides when to give and who to give to. And that should be a humbling thing. Jesus says, like I said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. God bless these people. I don't mean to call them out. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we need to be really careful to guard this church, to guard our hearts, to guard our families against false teaching. If it doesn't line up with scriptures, it has no place in our lives, in our families, in our church. We must pray. We're going to pray now that we put Jesus first in our life before any other God. We're going to pray that we must be a people who prays, people that praise God, that we're no longer under the law. And lastly, we're going to pray that he would give us the strength to hold on to the truth. And when false teaching comes, and distorts the amazing truth of the gospel, that we say, back wolves, <laughs> because my shepherd is in control. Let we just pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, we know that these problems that we're going to talk about over this coming series are not problems of the past, but they're problems of right now. Lord, I thank you so much that you can move powerfully in our lives. Lord, please, please allow what I've said this morning to be heard in love, not condemnation, because Holy Spirit, you're the only one who can condemn. But Lord, would we be desperate, desperate, Lord, to maintain sound teaching that is from the word of God in this church? Would we be desperate, Lord, not to be infiltrated by the cancer of false teaching in our own homes and in our own hearts? Would we understand, Lord, that the church is good? That you, Lord, had a plan A and no plan B for the redemption of this world, and it was your beautiful bride. Lord, I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us. 